The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Uh, this is episode 355. Uh, we have Danny Kwan, who will be joining us later, as well as Dr. Fesco in our technically speaking portion of the podcast. But right now I have Scott Heron with me. Scott, how's it going? Good, John. Hey, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, people who listen to the podcast know Scott has been on several times. Uh, he is out in Bozeman, Montana, serving at Trinity Presbyterian Church. Um, Scott, we've been talking about essentials of a youth retreat uh, during this kind of um, beginning portion of the podcast. Uh, And it's funny, as I'm sitting here uh, recording this with you, I'm thinking, hey, we were at a youth retreat not too long ago uh, out at your neck of the woods out in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, right off the bat, the essential of a youth retreat is to get John Parrott as your speaker. <laughs> yes. no, not at all. But, but the, the essential at that youth retreat was warm clothing uh, yes. because February in Montana, um, as I got off the plane, I think it was negative 16. Um, and that was the temp. That was not the wind chill. So yeah, that was it. That was a warm day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you were in short sleeves. Um <laughs> But, uh, but Scott, I'd love to hear from you. What is an essential of a youth retreat? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think you had, was it Linda? Uh, Lynn, on, Lynn yeah, actually. Lynn, yeah. oh yeah. And uh, she had mentioned uh, sleep for their crew. And that's interesting because uh, you asked me to think about this question. And that was the one thing that came to mind was actually rest. Um and one of the things that we incorporated a few years ago was just uh, two two things that we felt like were important. Um, one was that the kids didn't go home uh, just exhausted with bad attitudes, <laughs> you know, like letting them stay up all night. And so we uh, we do kind of do an earlier cur- curfew, eleven thirty. Uh, sometimes with the older kids, we do twelve. But uh, we don't really breakfast is at eight thirty, so they can get mm-hmm. a full eight, eight hours and 29 minutes of sleep if they, if they push it. And I think that that's been a blessing to them. Um, and then the other was just, uh, we, we incorporated extended amount of free time. Now it's not, it's not totally unstructured. There's a little bit of, uh, of underlying structure to it, but the goal is, and they, you know, they're together at school with their friends or they're in athletics with their friends or they're a youth group with their friends. And there's always a, uh, a structure or somebody telling them to go to the next thing or do the next thing. And uh, we've found that just letting them build uh, solid and good relationships with their, with their current friends uh, has been really beneficial. And I think that that's paid off for them. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love that answer. I, I mean, like you said, going back to Lynn, uh, her talking about sleep, but but you as well. Um, you know, it's called a youth retreat for a reason, right? <laughs> we, and and it's funny how 
you know, youth ministry just seems to kind of focus on in, intensity that we want to just cram so much into like having fun and creating all these events. And we just kind of go, go, go. But rest is such an important aspect of our life. And, you know, as believers, we've got a theology that backs that up. And, you know, our youth retreats and youth conferences need to, to think critically about that. And, uh, I mean, we, we've had this discussion as a staff of, of RYM of what our summer conferences look like, but, but not only the, the sleep aspect, but then kind of the recreation, uh, to have, um, as you said, so much of our students' lives are scheduled, um, to allow some freedom there, uh, to allow, um, even kind of, you know, boredom, as uh, Dr. Fesco will get into in, in a little bit, that um, I think he I think he quoted somebody that boredom is the womb of creativity. Um, that there's there, there's some some great just I don't know uh, benefits to allowing students to have some unstructured time and to allow them to kind of think creatively of how they can use that. And of course, like you said, it's it's good to have structure in there too and organize games. But um, all that said, I like both of those things. I think that's definitely essential of, of a retreat. Yep. Yep. And we just encourage them, you know, we, there's no phones. They just play, you know, like when you were a kid, you just play, just spend some time playing, mm-hmm. get that energy out. It's good. Yeah. That's so good, Scott. Uh, well, Scott, thank you for, for sharing. Um, Scott will be with us again later in this episode, uh, talking to Dr. Danny Kwan about parents and youth workers. Uh, but for now we have Dr. Fesco joining us in our Um, technically speaking portion of the podcast. Dr. Fesco is a professor of systematic and historical theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. He is the author of a number of books and articles and has served as a pastor for more than a decade before becoming a full-time professor. He and his wife uh, have uh, three children and live in the Jackson area. And uh, this week and the next two weeks, we'll be talking to him about uh, his book, The Christian and Technology. Uh, So here's Dr. Fesco. Dr. Fesco, I stumbled across your book, The Christian and Technology, uh, not too long ago. And uh, I do have to say that the cover always throws me off on the the title there when I'm reading it. (laughs) It's a great, it's a creative cover. Um, But I want to say the technology and the Christian, the, the the way it is. But uh it's it's very helpful book. I uh, really enjoyed it. What would love to hear just kind of you know, what was your passion in writing this book? How did you get into writing this? Has technology been just a passion of yours that you've wanted to explore as a Christian? Yeah, uh, just a, a you know a couple of a couple of different things you know uh, collided so to speak uh, in my mind, and I I wanted to be able to kind of address them. But uh, you know the first is is that uh, you know I study church history. And, uh, and then I've been a pastor as well. And, you know, I teach uh, theology. And so, um, you know, when Paul says in Romans 12, one and two, not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm, uh, one of the patterns that I see throughout history is how uh, the church and how Christians have repeatedly been conformed to the patterns of this world. And so I, you know, I, I can't do it as much as I'd like, but I always am trying to read up on the things that are going on in this world so that I have a better understanding of, of what it is. And, you know, one of the most prevalent uh, presences in our lives these days is uh, are the technologies that we use. And I think that a lot of people think that they are neutral uh, and that they don't really, you know, we just kind of use them. 
But one of the regular you know, questions that I pose in the book is, are we using the technology or is the technology using us? Uh, and so the, the second big reason I think uh, was because I'm a dad and I've got kids. And uh, you know, one of the things that you can see this in stores and in uh, churches and in homes where you know, kids just have these devices, as many grownups do, just stuck in front of their faces. And it really got me thinking, it, where it struck me once as I was sitting in an airport terminal waiting for a flight and I had my book. Uh, and as I looked around, it's like, I don't know what the percentage was, but I'd say it was north of 75% of people sitting and walking, you know, had a device uh, and were either listening or were looking or, you know, something like that or talking. And so that really, it scared me to a certain extent to say, wow, what's going on and, and, and what am I missing? And, you know, what is this? And then third and finally, uh, you know, one of my colleagues at my former institution said, hey, would you be willing to do a chapel series? Uh, and I said, well, what do you want me to do it on? He says, you can do it on anything you want. And so I said, okay, well, I had this massive stack of books on technology that I had read over the last several years. And I thought, well, why don't I just kind of, you know, take all of this information and kind of coalesce it and condense it and, uh, and put it into a series of addresses. And so that's more or less you know, what you have here in the book. And I wanted to make it accessible and not only accessible, but brief so that you could just pick it up and maybe sit down and maybe in an hour or two, uh, you know, read it and that it would be uh, provocative from the standpoint that it would just make you start thinking about the various technologies uh, that we use on a regular basis in our lives and, and how are they shaping us and how can we use them for good and how should we avoid using them, you know, uh, for ill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and let me just reiterate, and this isn't just because you're on this, this podcast, uh, this is a great book. Um, everyone listening needs to go and pick up this book. It is, as you said, accessible. It's not overly long. You can read it fairly quickly and easily. And I'm a slow reader, um, but it's just very helpful, very nuanced in a lot of ways and uh, very thought provoking. Um, and I definitely, I want to get us into some of the concerns that, that uh, we're obviously that everyone's dealing with, with technology. But I do like how you talk about the positive. And anytime we talk about technology, we want to speak about the positives. And so just kind of a, a general question really for, for you and for Scott, I'd love for y'all both to answer this. It's just what, what technology are you most thankful for? Just kind of a general question. If I ask that question, because we know technology is a, a good gift from God, what, what's something that comes to mind first, Scott or John, whoever wants to go first? Go ahead, Scott, you first. I may copy you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what I would say. The first thing that comes to mind is probably Google Maps or Apple Maps, you know, mm -hmm. just the yeah. having having that technology um in your pocket. You can go like we just traveled to Chattanooga and back and uh just super easy. We didn't, you know, get lost at all. So that was the first thing that comes into my mind. It's probably not the thing I'm most thankful for, but that was <laughs> The thing that popped. No, I, I love the knee jerk. Yeah, you know, the days of MapQuest and printing those directions out, <laughs> I guess, are, are over, right? Um, so, John, what, what comes to mind as I ask that question? Uh, for me, I'm going to sound like an old, uh, old codger, but uh, the book. Um, you know, you talk about the, you know, prior to the 16th century, books were relatively inaccessible. And, um, you know, now all of a sudden with Johannes Gutenberg and the invention of the printing press, it makes books accessible and affordable. And I was just telling, I was just on the phone with my mom earlier today 
and uh, I was telling her, I said, I got books piled up, you know, all over my office uh, and uh, literally stacks of books everywhere. And uh, I love reading books. And so um, I think that, you know, in, in, you know, if this were, say, I don't know, a thousand years ago, you'd have to go to an abbey uh, or to a university or something like that to get access to books. And, and then even then you would have to memorize massive chunks of information to keep that information instead of being able to, to write it down in a book. So, uh, you know, that for me, I think is, is perhaps, you know, um, my fa- at least one of my big favorites. And don't get me wrong, I have others. I mean, you know, my iPhone, um, it's so, so very useful. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's, I got my audio books on there. So I'm in the car, I'm listening to books. You do the maps, you know, you know, I'm calling people, you know, you can text people. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, so it's, yeah. it's great, but I, I really, if I had to give one up, I'd give up my phone and I'd keep books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I do like how you say in, in the book that, you know, your smartphone is one of the most useful tools that you have. And, and I do, I love that you have a whole section uh, talking about books and uh, it's so interesting, uh, not only to think of just kind of the advancement of books, um, but then today kind of thinking about e-readers and all that. And I hope to, to dive into that a little bit more. I think, one thing that you express in the book, and I've said this a few times on this podcast, that I think gets at the heart of my concern of this whole issue is just you state uh, one of your greatest fears is the uncritical use of technology. And you kind of already said that about how we're conforming to the to, to the world um, so often. I mean, I can remember a quote from, from John Piper. He says, we will be conformed into the image of this world without intentional efforts not to be. And, and I'd love for you maybe just to elaborate a little bit more on the uncritical nature of how Christians engage with the devices and use devices. Yeah, you know, I think one of the most common elements, and I may step on some toes here, so I don't mean to hey, do please it. Please do, uh, please but, do. We, yeah. all, we all need it. <laughs> it's like it used to be that preachers would say, open your Bibles uh, when you were preaching from something, you know, when the pastor was preaching from something and everybody opened their Bibles. Now, I don't know if it's deliberate, I don't know if it's just, uh, you know, just unintentional, whatever, but now it seems the phrase that I hear more is, open your copy of God's Word, and I don't know if it's, I think it's because so many of us now have Bibles on our phones, and we're not necessarily carrying physical copies of our Bibles, and on the one hand, I have a copy of the Bible on my phone, you know, Uh, But on the other hand, saying that then is that when you say take take out your phone in church, it's difficult, it's going to be difficult for you to focus your attention on the Word of God within the framework of that context of the phone, because on that phone, you're going to be thinking, hey, am I going to get any tweets? Might, Might I get any emails? Is it in airplane mode so that you won't get tweets and emails in church. Uh, and then when you're, you know, you're reading the word of God, it's also on the phone. It's a, it's a device where you've probably watched YouTube videos. And I'm not saying this about you guys, but just as a general question for all of us is to say, what images will we recall subconsciously that have flashed across our phone screens that are going to be a distraction to us? Is it a car we've been looking at because we're thinking about buying a car? Is it something sinful that we've been looking at that we shouldn't have been looking at at all? And so all of those things flood in and we don't realize it. 
and it's negatively affecting our ability to focus in upon the word of God. Whereas if you had a Bible, a physical Bible, you don't have any of those other associations with it. It's just the Bible and you recognize it as the word of God. Uh, and so, um, you know, what, 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 one of the authors that I, I cite in the book is uh, Neil Postman in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. If, if people haven't read that book, I highly encourage them to read it. Granted, it's a generation ago, but everything that he says about television more or less applies to, you know, our, our devices, uh, our screens, whether it's the iPads, the TV, or, you know, the, 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 the telephones, or the, the, the cell phones, I should say. Telephone dates me. <laughs> It's like when my kids watch older movies, like, Dad, why is that phone connected to the wall with a cord? <laughs> I'm like, because that's the way it used to be. There was no such thing as a wireless telephone. Um, but, um, but yeah, so uh, that's kind of some of the negative ways that, uh, you know, a technology such as the screen can adversely affect us. Not to mention the fact that with something like Twitter, you are unintentionally training your attention span essentially to focus on about 140 characters at a shot. And it is uh, Twitter and other things are eviscerating our reading comprehension levels. Basically it's reducing reading comprehension levels to uh, less than eighth grade for, for many adults. And so how are we as the people of the book, the word of God supposed to focus and pay attention when we've whittled our attention span down to that of a gnat and we can't focus for more than, you know, two to, to 10 seconds on something before our brain is off on something else. Uh, so it's not just say the, uh, the phones, it's social media, for example, too, that's, you know, that's a technology that's, that can adversely affect us. Yeah, no. And I, I love to, I mean, you mentioned Postman, and it is crazy to read some of the quotes from that book and to say, wow, he was prophetic. I mean, it is crazy how they just apply to today. So like you said, even though that book's been out a while, how applicable it is today. Scott, I, I want you to jump on in this too. Yeah, I was going to ask just, you know, as, as youth pastors, um, what, what can we do to kind of uh, help, help our students fight against that, you know, short attention span, that immediate gratification, that... Yeah you know, the, the 30 second TikTok videos, um, how can, how can we help them to kind of have sustained focus on things and, uh, that kind of stuff? Yeah. You know, I want to say, I forget the author's name, but, uh, I want to say the book's title's name was uh, Shakespeare's Blackberry. And for the younger set who don't know what a Blackberry is, uh, that's, that was another digital device, like a phone, except they, they went, you know, belly up. And, uh, so, what he argues in that book is he says it's important at times to take, um, I don't know what he called it specifically, but something like a, a digital uh, Sabbath break. You know, so in other words, put the phone down, turn off the screen, go get away from it, get physically away from it so that you're not tempted to look at it and uh, read a book, you know, sit down and, and, and read, read about something and just take the time to kind of, you know, train your mind. It's kind of like, you know, my son is playing football uh, and uh, I was we were, I was jokingly telling him, you need to get out and you need to do some some running with me. He's like, Dad, I'm a lineman. I don't I, I don't run long distances. I need, you know, burst speed and I need to be able to get up off the ground. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But you don't want to get locked too much into 
one set of movements when you're so young at, you know, at your age. And so how that translates for this type of scenario is, is that if all we're doing is consuming web pages or all we're doing is scanning and quick looking pictures, back and forth hypertext, we're training our minds to, 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 to just look at stuff for very short periods of time and we can develop that habit to where we can't focus on anything. Now, that, there's a positive side of that. If you're suffering from Alzheimer's, that type of uh, activity can be incredibly helpful to you. But since most of us probably are not suffering from that, that's where we need to get away from that particular environment and change our environment. You know, so if you're going to read the word of God, pick up your physical copy of the Bible and not only pick it up, but mark it, read it, try to memorize verses from it, uh, maybe even copy verses from it in a journal uh, and, and, you know, turn off your phone. Uh, you know, it's kind of like one of the things I enjoy doing is when I get on an airplane flight, which, you know, for young people, I don't know how frequently they do that. But I enjoy the fact that it's like, yeah, you got to power down your device. And yeah, now there's, you know, Wi-Fi on the airplanes. But but uh, for me, it's kind of like I'm locked in this aluminum tube for the next two hours. <laughs> and all I have to do is this book in front of me. Great. You know, I, I don't have emails coming in, texts coming in or anything like that. And then one other thing that I do is my, my kids ask me this. It's like, dad, why don't you have the Twitter app? Why don't you have the Facebook app? I'm like, because to use it through the browser makes it harder. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have ease of access to this. I want to make it difficult so that it becomes at times tiresome and inconvenient. And I'm much rather set it down and just move on to something else. Mm. Um, you know, so yeah, and, you know, this is one of the things my son told me this because he watched the documentary. And if people haven't seen it, it's the, uh, the, uh, the Social Dilemma, I think, on Netflix. They said there's only really two groups that uh, call their customers users, and that's drug dealers <laughs> and technology dealers, if you will. That ought to tell us something. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that ought to clue us in to, to, to some of that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is really helpful. I mean, I, again, I loved your, your section on, on books and just uh, specifically, I mean, again, you, you talk about the benefits of having the entire Bible on your phone, on having e-readers, and those things can be good things, but in their proper place. I know Trevin Wax of the Gospel Coalition had an article not too long ago talking about, I think the title of the article was, This is Sacred Space, Turn Off Your Screens. And he says, you know, so often we go to the movie theater and we'll get annoyed at people by leaving their phones on. He said, shouldn't we have this mindset at church um, to just turn our phones off and to be present? And like you said, it's probably going to step on some toes as some some people out there listening. But to see the, the benefits of actually opening a paper Bible, and like you said, the tactile nature of just underlining and writing in a journal, all of those things increase our understanding of God's word and our ability um, to, to meditate upon it rightly. And so I, I think that's helpful. Um, look, I know, I know we're getting into some some possible helps, and I know over the next couple of weeks we'll discuss that a little bit more. But uh, thanks for your time today, John. Today, I welcome Dr. Danny Kwan to the podcast. Uh, Danny has been serving for 28 years, leading the family and youth ministry at Young Sang Church outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He completed his PhD in organizational leadership, as well as degrees from Westminster Seminary and Covenant Seminary, and teaches as an adjunct professor at Eastern University. He has authored three books, 
He is married to Monica, a psychologist and counselor, and has three sons. Danny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, looking forward to getting to talk with you uh, today. I also want to welcome Scott Heron. Scott, good to have you. Hey, John. Thanks. Thanks for asking me to come back. And Danny, it's good to see you. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. Yeah, those who listen to the podcast know that Scott has been on several times uh, out in Bozeman, Montana. And Danny, are, are you in Philadelphia? Is that right? Pennsylvania? 30 minutes north. I consider myself a Philly born and bred. Okay. Know. Yeah. All right. Um, well, look, we're, we're going to be talking about youth workers and parents today and just a lot of uh, discussion related uh, to that. And so, Danny, I thought it'd be great just to have you begin uh, talking about your your early years in youth ministry, because I, I don't know about you, but specifically thinking of my interaction with parents, I know right when I was hired on in youth ministry, um, I kind of saw parents as... Um, I don't know if I'd say an obstacle to you, to youth ministry, if I put it that strongly, but but definitely just kind of more ignoring parents. I kind of thought of, okay, look, the church has hired me to be with the youth and to disciple the youth, so let's just kind of push the parents to the side, and I'll just focus on, on youth. But I'd love to hear kind of your early thoughts on youth ministry and interacting with parents. Yeah, yeah. So I've been at my uh, church as the youth and family pastor for 28 years now. People call me a unicorn. They don't exist, but uh, it's been a long time, long journey. And uh, yeah, when I was young, I didn't really think about ministry to parents. I also think on their part, they probably thought I was young. You know, I I started, I wasn't married, didn't have kids. And, um, and then, you know, as I, um, you know, grew a little bit older, a little bit more seasoned in ministry, you know, you know, you re- read a lot of books and stuff on youth ministry. And, you know, they all talk about parents that are 50% of the youth ministry. Jim Burns, big youth ministry guru in California, talks about that. But you don't really appreciate and really, I don't know, there has to be something that got me really more interested in, in seeing the importance of parents. And then, of course, seeing the, you know, you know, the Bible, scripture talking about parents being the primary spiritual responsibility mm-hmm. you know a lot of youth workers use that term but we don't really embrace it and do it and uh you know for me probably about 18 19 years ago um seeing some of the studies uh barna fuller youth institute again along with the biblical you know biblical data what the bible says about parents uh raising their kids up in faith and us walking alongside them. Um, but some of the studies from Fuller and Barna about kids walking away from faith and their um, lack of connection to the church and um, parents not taking that responsibility and, and youth ministries not parenting with, uh, not partnering with parents um, really convicted me, especially that idea of youth walking away from the church and and again their lack of collection connection with the church body and parents and for many years though even before that my motto was always um and something i say to the youth kids is um the most important time of youth group is after you leave youth group and so i always said that for all my years of ministry but again with this 
um, kind of research that came out through Barna and Fuller Youth Institute, for example, it really convicted me that, hey, what the Bible says is true, and I got to do a better job of it. Um, um, I did find that over the years working with parents and then having my own teenagers um, come into the youth group, I always told my boys, if you want your dad to quit youth ministry and stop being your youth pastor, I'll do it. If you, if you don't like it, if it's hard for you, pressure, you know, being a PK, I'll, I'll quit anytime. But fortunately, they never said that. Um, <laughs> you know, I always promised them things like if I use you in a uh, talk, a sermon or something like that, I'll always, you know, get your permission first. And, you know, I never put too much pressure on them. That's a whole other side note. But uh, I did write a book a few years ago called uh, um, Understanding Parents of Teenagers, uh, Youth Workers Field Guide to Parents of Teenagers. Um, I always say the subtitle should have been not working with parents of teenagers, but why I hate parents of teenagers. <laughs> and I kind of say that as a half joke. I mean, it was, <laughs> it's hard working with parents of teenagers. But when I started raising my own teenagers, I realized it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm. And I have good kids. I, I think I have pretty good kids. But, you know, just their developmental stage, just their natural rebellion to parents, um, how to deal with technology and internet and you know, driving them to activities and just their heart issues and my heart issues as parents, uh, I really tried to embrace them and, you know, um, work to serve them and serve with them. And uh, mm -hmm. it really helped me develop a lot more compassion and the need to equip and partner with them, to equip them and partner with them and make them really, again, you know, as a ratio, 50% of the ministry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, there's so much you just said that I thought, well, that's kind of a good overview of what we hope to to cover in this, in this conversation. There's so much that I hope we can, can jump into. I know we're going to run out of time and I want, I want Scott to jump in, but well, one thing you did highlight and, and this is, um, yeah, couldn't agree more as, as we say on this podcast all the time that, um, we, that youth ministry isn't just ministry to youth, it's ministry to families that we must partner with the parents. But, uh, you did highlight the, the challenge of, of doing that, that, that parents can be, um, difficult. And so, uh, here, here's a quote from your book that really kind of resonated with me. I'd love for you to elaborate on. And then Scott, I'd love for you to jump in, but you, Say, I can tell you from my years of youth and now family ministry, the hardest part of youth work for me has been dealing with parents in spite of my love for their teenagers. When it comes to teens, I love their passion. I love their energy. I love seeing their journey of faith and seeing that God can use me in our youth ministry to be a part of their journey. But to be honest, working with their parents has been the most trying and difficult part of my job. I think most youth workers out there listening would say amen. Uh, they, they would get that. But I'd love for you to kind of elaborate on that a little bit. And then, Scott, please jump in. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I've been reading this book called Handing Down Your Faith by uh, uh, Christian Smith out of Notre Dame and Amy Adderzak. I can't really pronounce her name, but, uh, you know, it talks about parents passing down their faith to their kids and being the 
primary influencers and um, one prominent scholar, somebody on social media, um, kind of big influencer in the PCA or, or some reform circles is saying, we need to get rid of youth ministry, you know, you know, you know, or, you know, there's, there's no need for it. We need to just be family oriented. And as I read Kristen Smith's book, you know, recently, I think it was a book about parents who are doing well in raising their kids and passing their faith. But I find that for most parents, raising your teenagers, you know, I always say the young parents, you know, young who have young kids, it's a physical battle, you know, you know, feeding them, keeping, you know, you know, entertaining them, staying up with them, um, things like that. But when, when, when you have teenagers, I think it's more of a spiritual battle and, you know, raising them up in the Lord and, and, dealing with their rebellion and their hearts and their attitudes, and then your own sinful struggles and, and how to raise them. And so, um, you know, I, I think that parents like me need help. Again, this book by Christian Smith, I think, was a study as I see the book and I've done research as a, you know, PhD student, social science research. I see it as a book about parents who are doing a good job. But I think most parents, like myself, struggle and have a difficult time. And so that's why one of my missions as a youth and family pastor has been to provide resources for parents. Have have tried to make the youth ministry a, a, a kind of beacon of hope and a light for them that they can turn to for help and, and resources and counseling in their parenting and also in helping them walk alongside with them in raising their teens. Because again, I think it's, it's hard raising teens. Amen to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's all. That's all really good, Danny, man. I, it's hard for me to know where to where to start with some questions and some thoughts, but uh, um, I, uh, I I guess I'd love to hear um, maybe uh, maybe just what as you've grown in your in your uh, in your youth ministry, uh, not not only um, spiritually but just in t- in time and age and all that. Um, what would you say is the thing that kept you maybe uh, going after parents, like, you know, you, you mentioned one of the, you mentioned uh, a hurtful thing somebody had said to you in, in the beginning of your book. And um, what was the, the, the fortitude where you're just like, you know what, I'm done with parents. I'm going to focus on kids. Like John was saying, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. uh, uh, they're just a necessary evil. Like how, what, what brought you back to, uh, to keep going after parents in that ministry and, and how did you do it? Yeah, yeah. You know, first of all, you all might know this, and you know, you guys believe it because you work with youth and families. But I think, again, subjective, but I think youth ministry is the hardest ministry. Yeah, I think because yeah. we deal with three specific stakeholders that maybe in other ministries you don't. You deal with parents, you deal with your 
church leadership, your session, or mm. whoever's overseeing your ministry, and you deal with the teens themselves. Mm. And it's so easy for a teen to go to youth group one week and say, I don't like the youth pastor. I don't like the youth ministry. I don't like the volunteers. The parents hear that. They get upset. They tell one of the church leadership. They confront you. They tell you what's wrong. And so, you know, you're dealing with, you know, the joy, but the hardship and pushback from three distinct groups that can come at you anytime. And uh, I think with, parents especially you know you know i say in the book it's their teenager it's their kid mm. and so like i have some parents who are super supportive and like one example i think i give in the book is like i had one parent whose student was super involved loved the youth group and then we went to cuba for a mission trip one year he had dry skin and it got infected on the trip and he came back and the mother thought I was like Satan, you know, that I, I totally <laughs> mishandled the situation. I, you know, should have like, you know, taken care of him better and helped with ointments. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I did understand, you know, it's her teenager and it's, uh, um, you know, her kid. And ultimately in that, Scott, I, I, I do say, that for me, whether it be from the church leadership, um, you know, I, I, you know, I did get a new pastor five years ago after being at my church for 23 years, I got a new senior pastor and, and you know, just kind of working with a new senior pastor, um, gaining his trust and credibility and him understanding what we do as a youth ministry. That was a you know, that, that made me relate to young youth pastors again who are just starting out in the ministry and trying to deal with their senior pastors and church leaderships. And uh, all that being said, even from a young age, I had a really great um, professor in seminary um, who really taught me the gospel and finding my hope and identity mm. in Christ. And Again, when, 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 when a kid says, I hate youth group, or I don't want to come, a parent says, you're, you're doing a bad job, or, you know, turns into my enemy, or yells at me, or, or something like that, or my church leadership says, this parent's leaving the church because of you, when I, when I know it's not necessarily because of me, really finding my identity and hope that I am loved and I am a child of God Amen. and that nothing can take that away. Um, you know, you know, those nights when you go to sleep and, and again, kid doesn't like the youth group says they're leaving the church. Again, parent says you're a bad youth worker. You know, the, the, the church saying that's a bad program or, you know, you're, you're, you're not doing enough outreach or something like that you know just going to sleep each night and saying hey i'm loved and adored i'm a beloved child of god and nothing can take that away from me that that steadfast love always 
gives me uh, hope. And it's been that hope for me in, in 28 years. That's what's helped me survive for 28 years. That's the only thing. And I always say, as a young youth worker, there's where well, there was not a day that didn't go by that I wanted to quit. So if that's you as a youth worker, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, now I, you know, as a little bit getting older, I'd say there was not a week that didn't go by. And then there's not a month that didn't go by. <laughs> mm-hmm. But now working with a new senior pastor and younger session members, I say, now there's not a day that doesn't go by <laughs> again. But where do I find my hope and and, and peace and, mm-hmm. and contentment is just my my own identity in, in Christ. And I know it doesn't sound spectacular or maybe something revolutionary, but I really think it is. I really think, you know, we have so many discouragements and, and hardships in, in youth ministry. And again, even dealing with the multiple stakeholders and critiques and 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 people who are, you know, again, quote unquote against us and, and you know, and, and negative pushback and feedback, um, just finding that identity and hope in Christ, um, I think is really important. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, something that, that we always got to grow in and, you know, you know, be, make part of our lives. Yeah, I, I, amen to that. I mean, that, that's something... Yeah, I mean, you're in your book as we're talking about a youth workers field guide to parents, which encourage all of our listeners to go pick up. I love how you have a little section talking about that, you know, not taking things personally, not making the the ministry about us. Because I mean, I know uh, the three of us on this in this conversation and those listening can all attest to the fact that yeah, we often do take things personally in ministry, and oftentimes it's when we're losing sight of this gospel truth and our identity that you're, you're speaking to. Um, Danny, I'd love for you as we're talking about youth workers partnering with, with parents, could you uh, help define maybe a, a healthy parent and youth worker relationship, or maybe just give some characteristics of, you know, what you would say would be a healthy relationship because we know the church is messy. It's never going to be, you know, what, what's, uh, you know, these 10 steps, or it's always going to look this way, but what would you kind of say are some healthy characteristics of a relationship between youth workers and parents? Yeah. Um, you know, this is not to sound discouraging, but, you know, I have, a youth group pre-pandemic, about 200 teenagers. And so about, you know, 250, 300 parents or 400 parents. It's a pretty, pretty easy scenario there, right? That's, yeah. uh... <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I say that because we might have like a training event for parents or like we do this financial aid seminar for parents because first of all, if you're a parent of teenager, financial aid applications are a whole nother language. It's like mm-hmm. learning Hebrew and Greek and <laughs> we know how horrible that was. But, uh, um, but you know, we might have parent meetings, things like that, where we talk about the ministry, uh, short-term mission meetings, but we'll only get like 30 or 40 parents. Um, we might do something on mental health. Um, again, 30, 40 parents, but I think a, you know, more than the numbers or who you get, I think um, 
one of my philosophies or mottos about working with parents is, again, just to be a salt and light for them, be a beacon of hope, be a lighthouse for them. So we are available for parents. We do family events like in the fall, we go apple picking. We invite families together. We're not gonna ever get 200 parents. We're not even gonna get 100 parents, but we are gonna be available and um, again, a place for parents that they can come to and they can have places where they can be resourced and trained and grow. Um, you know, um, I, I, in that way, I, I say, for example, you know, we're all dealing with mental health of teenagers. Um, you know, CDC just put out their study on the rise of um, feelings of depression and suicide ideation of teenagers that have grown from 2009 to 2021. You know, one of the things we do is we talk about it openly. Um, we send newsletters out to parents, send articles about it. And so um, I always say when parents have a glitch, an issue or problem, they might not come to parenting, parenting events, parenting training, um, the opportunities for them to grow in the Lord that we provide. But when they have a glitch, an issue, and again, specifically with mental health, a child who, you know, struggles with mental health suddenly, and we know a lot of them are, um, then they know, hey, the youth group's talked about this. Mm -hmm. The youth group has resources. The youth group is a place that I can turn to. So again, offering resources, offering a place of training, uh, of events and activities for families, for parents is important. We're not gonna get them all, but in that also, you know, make parents aware, talk about these issues openly so that they have a place and a resource to turn to, they know that the youth group seriously does care about them and has resources and places that they can turn to um, mm. in those times where they're, again, we just call it glitches in their family life. Mm -hmm. um, but again, not all 200, 300 parents will come to a training event, but when they have an issue, for example, with mental health or their kids are on their technology too much, you know, they can come turn to the youth pastor, you know, and, and in that way, um, my wife is a mental health professional. She's a counselor at CCEF at Westminster Seminary. So that's, again, I know not every youth worker has that as their spouse. <laughs> that's a pretty, a pretty uh, health, helpful yeah. connection. <laughs> but we offer family, you know, informal counseling every Sunday for three hours. My wife says, Hey, from two to four every Sunday, if you want to get some family, just conversation going, you can bring your teenager in. And so we offer that um, resource for just family help, um, counseling. But again, I think, again, offering training resources for family and parents, and then, you know, communicating with parents through 
newsletters, through articles. We send that out quarterly about issues with teenagers, knowing that we are, you know, we have resources, we're there to talk. Um, and that any, you know, so, so again, we are a beacon of hope, a place that they can turn to. And then as a youth and family pastor, um, I do a lot of visitations with students, uh, relational youth ministry. Um, I use the Young Life phrase, um, stole it from Young Life, earn the right to be heard. So we do a lot of student visitations of their activities, school events, um, things outside of church. But we also go visit families at home, like our, our, our elders and our pastors will do home visitations. I also do um, visitations of parents at their homes with their teenagers. And so we'll go into their homes, we'll ask them if we can come over, pray with them, just sit and chat with them. And so those are some ways, maybe more practical ways that mm -hmm. undergirds kind of an overall uh, philosophical framework that we have of really being available um, for the parents by providing resources, um, but being a hope and light and a beacon for them when yeah. they have troubles and they need resources or help. And again, initiating relationships with families through, again, a newsletter. Again, I get newsletters from my kids' high school admittedly i don't always read them so i don't know how many parents read <laughs> you're, you're the only one i'm sure yeah. every parent yeah. reads this you know we send still 200 newsletters every yeah. three months to parents stamp them <laughs> and label them oh wow and, and you know translate because i i'm in a korean american congregation our parents are more korean speaking while our kids are north american you know english speaking teenagers but we translate the articles into Korean wow. so parents can read them for the Korean speaking parents. We have English speaking parents, you know, so, you know, they just need it in English. Um, but again, we, we, we show them that we care about them and, you know, visit them at their homes. You know, during COVID, I went to everybody's home with a gift package, 200 kids over four months, just bring the, the families and parents a care package, knocking on their door, standing six feet away with my mask on saying, hey, church loves you. We want to see you back. Please come back when you feel comfortable. And we love you. And, you know, so stuff like that. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's excellent to hear that. I mean, especially the, the gift package at the end, but even going all the way back to when you were talking about just the, the communication through a newsletter or, or whatever, that even the, it's good for us to be reminded, even those parents that are not coming, you're creating a culture in your church and you're sending a message that, hey, we're, we're not just here for the students, we're here for you parents. And so that can go a long way. Um, that, that's so such a good reminder. Scott, I'd love for you to, to jump in on this. Uh, thanks for, thanks for all that, Danny. Um, now, now I've got to hide this, this, uh, podcast from my, my parents. Cause I, I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I stole that from other youth workers. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Don't listen to this one. No. Um, but, uh, it, it occurred to me, you know, uh, just thinking about the listeners of, of this podcast, and there's probably a lot of young youth pastors out there who don't have children, maybe some that aren't even married and they're just starting out. And sometimes when um, we interview or talk to seasoned youth, youth workers, youth pastors like yourself, 
it gets a little overwhelming because of all the the things that you've you've accomplished and implemented over the years uh, from the seminars that you're talking about to these newsletters to the training and development and 200 kids and I guess uh, I'm thinking about my volunteers. I'd love for them to listen to this. And we have a gal who's in charge of the girls' discipleship and she's young and she doesn't have a family yet. And so my question is, what would you say to those young youth workers who are starting out? What are some first steps they can do now that would really establish um, just these beautiful relationships with parents, um, both for their own sakes, for the sake of the ministry, for the sake of the church and the sake of the gospel? Yeah. And, you know, Scott, that's a great point. Just the point you made before is I've been at my church for 28 years. It took a lot of failure. Again, I, I want to emphasize with 300, 400 parents, I only get like 15 to 30 families at an event for parents. So it's not like we're having like 400 parents and and uh, we do this joint once a month morning prayer for with trying to do with parents and families, like a worship one Saturday a month, we only get like eight families. So it's not like, you know, we're like, you know, everything's super successful. I just take the wins that I can get. And, uh, you know, um, took a long time to establish these things, took a lot of failures and trial and error. So to young youth workers, you know, you can start out small, um, you know, um, you know, like, for example, for your volunteer in the uh, in your girls discipleship group, you know, it can be something as small as, you know, writing eight small notes to the parents and, and mailing them out, um, something as simple as that. And I do a middle school, school uh, seventh and eighth grade small group midweek also. And, um, you know, um, for Mother's Day, for example, you know, you can buy like Mother's Day's card cheap now. You know, you can buy like a package of 100. And we're going to get together in our small groups on uh, Sunday evening on the week before Mother's Day. And we're just going to give everybody every student a card and had them write Mother's Day cards and they're going to take it home. And, you know, the, the mother's going to be like, oh, you got me a card. And, you know, they're probably know it's from their kid, but also it's an idea that the youth group did. So, you know, it's just maybe showing appreciation to the mothers through their teenagers. Um, but again, just little uh, small things like phone calls or, little notes of encouragement to the parents saying, Hey, you know, we love you. We love your teen. You know, we know it's hard doing a great job and thank you for sending, you know, whoever to the youth group, um, you know, phone calls. Again, it's easy to text um, and, and texts are good. I think it's, you know, I use group me and, and uh, different texting services and all, but I think, a phone call, um, just inviting a parent for a cup of coffee Saturday morning, um, something like that. I think these little small things, and again, as a volunteer, I know their time is limited too. And so, you know, like 
maybe just once a month or once every two months, they can call up a parent for a cup of coffee or something like that. It doesn't have to be like, you know, like I'm full time in ministry. So I got to do something with my time. You know, you know, I, I just use it my own ratio that I try to visit seven to 10 kids a week. That's, you know, pre-COVID, of course. Um, that's just my helpful, disciplined way of making sure that I'm reaching out to kids. Um, mm-hmm. I try to say, try to text five kids a day. That doesn't take too long. But, you know, I, I try to just try to make it my ratio. But I'm again, I'm full time. I'm, I'm full time. I, I get paid to do this. But as a volunteer, you know, or as a young youth worker, take it slow, you know, mm-hmm. do small things, you know, you know, you know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, we, we do something four times a year with parents for training, but maybe just once a year and maybe it'll fail at first, you know, you know, you know, we do a Valentine's day love dinner with our parents. And for the first few years, it was great. Then after a while it fizzled out and, now we stop doing it to turn it into a failure. And so you're going to have failures and, and things that don't work. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of the process of trying to innovate. You know, I, I studied innovation as a, a part of my PhD dissertation and innovation comes with it. A lot of failure, you know, trying new ideas and, and trying new things, but but the important thing about innovation is, is that you need to do it. You know, I studied a company, Kodak, you know, the camera company that didn't innovate into the digital camera world. And they eventually failed. And their company after many years, you know, now there's it's no more um, because they didn't take that initiative to still work on film and innovate into digital. And so I think, you know, for youth ministry, you know, all the social science research, but all the biblical, you know, you know, you know, you know, the words in the Bible talk about how parents need to be the primary caretakers. So we need to do both at youth workers, but take it slow, you know, take it and know that it's, you know, some things are going to work, some things are not. And, and, you know, you're not going to be you know, the hero youth worker transform, you know, every, you know, every event that you do. And, you know, we only started really getting family oriented, um, parent oriented more in about 2007. I actually changed my title from youth pastor to, you know, what you have, Scott, and you, you know, you, you, know, you have John, pastor of families and youth. And that, that little change was something small, but it was to show the church, and I asked the senior pastor to really promote that we're changing this title because I'm also going to be, you know, working with families and parents more actively. Small thing, but hey, it was a small win. Yeah, you know, I mean, so, you know, helpful. Some sometimes those titles can seem kind of small, but it, it sends a message to the whole church. Uh, I, th- I think you're right, and and I like too just what you're saying, kind of, you know 
canceling some of the programs or, or, or quitting them, or if we want to put a drastic killing some of the programs that we have in place, because sometimes we can just, uh, you know, just get entrenched in our ideas and tradition and all that. But it's it's helpful and healthy uh, for a church to continually evaluate what it is they're doing. And, you know, is this still serving the purpose that it initially uh, sought out to do? So I think that's that's a good word. Um, I'd love for you to, I know we're about to start wrapping this up, but a few times we've mentioned uh, screens um, in this conversation. And I know that always parents are dealing with, okay, screens in the home, um, but even youth workers, screens at their programs, uh, how often, you know, should they allow it? What kind of boundaries are in place? I'd love for you just to kind of speak to the parents as well as the youth workers on um, some practical advice on on screens and uh, how to kind of push back on that a little bit, how to utilize them. I mean, let me just go ahead and say, as always, we would all say technology is a good gift from God, um, but we, we, we know we need to use it with discernment. So I'd love for you just to speak to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think especially for parents, um, you know, again, my wife being a counselor and um you know, we, we do, you know, meet with parents all the time and, and they ask us, Hey, what do we do about screens? We can't get our kid off of technology. And, uh, you know, it gets me angry and upset. And one of the things we tell parents in a most loving way, of course, is be the parent, you know, you are the parent, which means you're going to have to set some ground rules in your home. Um, I think a lot of parents these days are afraid to be the parent, you know, afraid to set ground rules, afraid to offend and upset their kid. Now, again, like you said, John, technology is wonderful. Use it for the glory of God. You know, one of my young years, when Nintendo Wii came out, I invited students over and I go to a very, quote unquote, fundamentalistic kind of very strict kind of church. And so parents were like, don't play video games at your house. <laughs> but we found it a great way. Nintendo Wii back 20 years ago, it's a great way to have fellowship. Um, but, you know, going back to this idea of screen time and parenting again, you know, there's a book coddling of the American mind and, mm -hmm. and uh, really we asked parents, Hey, you have to be the parent, you know, you have to set some, loving discipline and, and ground rules in your home like you know in our home no technology at the table um you know once a week we do a family get together it's not family worship you know but we get together and you know sunday afternoons and we have a time of just talking and, and discussing um we, with laptops these days, and I know not every parent can afford it, but, you know, we, we have them use their laptops only in the dining room, um, in a public place. And I know that's a drag for my teenagers, you know, that, the, you know, they, 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 you know, can't use it in their rooms and their privacy and, you know, whatever they might be doing. But, you know, we, we had a rule of not playing computer games Sunday night through Thursday night. Um, and so, you know, I would, as a youth worker, even go and volunteer to go to their parents' home 
sit down with the teenager and the parent, always them together. Some parents are like, could you counsel my teenager? I'm like, we're going to do family, mm-hmm. quote unquote, counseling. We're, we're going to talk to you as a family. And so help them understand and set some ground rules and, and you know, let the teenager also speak to their issues and, and, and feelings about technology with their parents. And, you know, the teenager might say, hey, you're on your phone. Why, why are you not letting me on my phone? You know, we had little rules in our home, like when you're riding in the car, only have one earbud in. So you could mm-hmm. hear when we called out and we wanted to have some conversation. We had to talk to you about something, you know, because that drive time is a great time for parents to have conversations with their um, teenager. Um, and so again, and then the other thing is, as a parent, I get frustrated with my kid, you know, stop looking at your iPad so much, stop being on your phone so much. But I need to be the parent, I need to say that in a controlled, loving, Christ like way. And so we're always trying to work with parents, again, in setting ground rules, but also being the mature, loving, secure, Christ-centered parenting and helping them be loving, Mm gospel-centered parenting. Also sharing with them, hey, it's not easy. Danny Kwan, I get angry at my kid. Mm -hmm. I've I'm going to admit this on a podcast. I've cursed at my kids as a youth. I tell my teenagers that too, my, my youth group that too. You know, I've gotten angry. I'll admit I'm not Will Smith, but I've, I've wanted to hit them. You know, sorry, sorry about that. Those of you who, you know, but, you know, I, but I, my wife who's a counselor tells me, Danny, be the parent, you know set good ground rules, but also don't let your temper and your anger get a hold of you and, and uh, you know, really be the mature Christian loving example with them. Or so that's just my one big advice to parents is be the parent. Yeah, no, but it's, it's so good. And I, I, I do appreciate your vulnerability there as well, because I mean, even, you know, in your book, you talking about, kind of Ephesians 6, that oftentimes we can have this us versus them mentality, the parents versus the teenagers, and that kind of getting down to the root of that and and realizing, look, we've got this spiritual battle going on in our hearts as parents, but then also in their hearts as teenagers, um, and that we're not not waging war against flesh and blood, that there is this uh, spiritual force that we're up against. And Thanks be to God that he's given us a spirit to, to engage in that battle. And, and like you said, bringing us back to Christ, focusing on the gospel. Um, Danny, this has been really helpful. Uh, I know, I mean, talking about screens specifically at the end, that's something that's always um, something parents are wrestling with and dealing with. And as we bring this to a close, I'd love for you to kind of chime in uh, to have the last word there, because I know I was kind of cutting you off just then. Oh, no, no, just, uh, you know, I, I, you know, to parents, you know, again, it's hard raising teenagers. Um, I know it's not easy. I raised three teens of my own. Um, and I always say they're good kids. And it was the hardest thing I've ever, ever done. And I see a lot more 
on social media, people saying parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's definitely a spiritual battle. And like you talked about, John, you know, it's, but it's a battle not against flesh and blood. It's not against your teenager. You know, it's really, are we going to win that spiritual battle in our own hearts and, and, and let Christ, you know, shape our hearts and how we view our teenagers and, and love them. And, and, you know, for young youth workers, you know, parenting is hard. I, again, my subtitle of my book that I could never call it should have been why I hate parents of teenagers. <laughs> again, parents of teenagers are hard to deal with, but just be faithful, diligent. You know, hopefully your youth group can be a beacon of hope and light for them. So they, they can, they will turn to you, I believe, when they have needs and, and issues and struggles. And so be that salt and light for them. And uh, again, it's not about how many come, but that you're just a shining light of the gospel for them. And um, so, yeah. Well, Danny, that, that's a good word uh, to end on. Um, as always, there, there's so much more um, that we did not even get to cover. So um, that just means we need to have you back on. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time to be on today. Scott, I also appreciate you uh, taking time out of your week to, to be a part of this interview. Man, thanks, John. Thanks, Danny. That was all so good. I'm so glad this is recorded. <laughs> Thank Let's you. do it again. Yeah. Oh,